from us. Oh, they're coming to visit yeah. I'm drinking a high noon. These have been in my fridge all summer long and I've decided I need to get rid of them. High noons are the classic drink that everyone just has in their fridge. Like we only have like the black cherry and the grapefruit flavors left. And so I feel like whatever the third flavor was in this variety pack we got, I'm gonna guess in mid June, yeah, uh, was the best flavor. And now we just have had these sitting in our house for a very long time. So I'm, so I'm making a point of like, I'm not buying like another six pack until I clean out the fridge. What was I? Oh, so the one thing, the topic I want to bring up, I guess, is related to the person we're talking about today. Um, but did you watch the Emmys this week? No, I didn't. I I wanted to talk about the Emmys because I did see like winners and losers, but I didn't actually watch the. Um, didn't actually like watch uh, the the whole thing. I know about like the Jimmy Kimmel shit. Yeah. Um, I fucking hate Jimmy Kimmel. He is very annoying. Um, in terms of like show hosts, I mean, he's definitely bottom three. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Fallon gets all the hate, which he deserves, but because of how much people hate Fallon. I think people really sleep on how shitty Kimmel is. Fallon is like the NFL owner of late night hosts where he's the one that everyone gets to gravitate towards hating because he gets a lot of money and he's fine with that because it like basically puts the weight off of every other bad late night host as a result. Yeah. So wait, who does that make Jimmy Kimmel in this metaphor? Um, Robert Starver. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say like the Saudi Arabians who keep paying for WWE people to come over and uh, perform in that country. It's like, yeah, I know that's fucked up, but I'm not really paying attention to any of that. So yeah, it's not that bad, but you know, I think his actual show is pretty baseless and just kind of whatever. I don't, I don't know it. who his fan base is. People who love the man show. I guess so. People who hate Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman's on Kimmel like all the time. Yeah, but isn't isn't she his ex? Yeah, but they're still on good terms, I think. All right. Well, pretend they aren't for this joke to work. <laughs> uh, what did you talk about with the Emmys? Well, I guess I'll save the main topic for when we discuss the movie. But the like, I mean, I don't know. It was it was an interesting bag. It was just basically. I think it just always is like this, but a lot of times it just seems to be like the same like four shows that win every award. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like a lot of like Secession cleaned up. Uh, Ted Lasso got some stuff. Ted, yeah, Ted Lasso. I like, I like, I'm just so annoyed about like, have anyone who has an opinion on Ted Lasso, I find annoying now. And I find me finding that annoying also annoying. It's a lose-lose situation. It's like the new Rick and Morty sort of to me, where it's like, I hate the fan base so much for almost like I mean for the Rick and Morty fan base it's more easy to find a reason to hate them because most of them were just very obnoxious and misogynistic but with this show it's more just the fan base just somehow is almost more annoying in some way to me even though I like the show a lot and still defend season two in some aspects yeah I I feel like Rick and Morty fans being annoying hasn't been true for like two years at this point like it's like it's like it's one of those things where like they were super annoying and now it has like this reputation but people for the most part have the good sense to like shut up if they like the show now like they know about the fan reputation and also i'm gonna say it rick and morty better than ted lasso it's a better show oh uh, yeah like overall if i had to rank like my top a thousand shows of all time rick and morty would go higher yeah new season's been good too and dealing with interesting themes wow i'm shocked that rick and morty would have some interesting themes in it <laughs> probably some nuanced takes on depression and family dynamics uh you know uh finding meaning when everything's meaningless they like to cover that one a lot too they do yeah uh is there gonna be another i'm assuming there's another season of ted lasso that's gonna come out soon right yeah they keep saying they're ending with three but then every time they say that the apple like the creators of ted lasso say they're ending with three but then the apple tv people are always like but there's room for spinoffs or we don't know if it's ending with three and all this stuff so who knows um yeah and like in terms of there weren't any surprises at the emmys i feel like this year pretty much everyone who won was kind of expected i feel like i'm surprised that michael keaton won for dope sick but also looking at all the other people who are nominated i'm like surprised that this category even exists well i was obviously rooting for himesh patel from station 11 because i thought he was great in that but um i think i want to say like andrew garfield was like the underdog favorite for this category but michael key it was michael keen's to lose from what i could tell Mm -hmm. because dope sick like is the kind of show where you give a performance in it and you don't really give like a full show if that makes sense yeah Uh, fun fact about dope sick uh 
uh, I watch Hulu a lot of times before I go to bed because a lot of times Hulu has like sitcoms or whatever. So I'll just like throw like Bob's Burgers or whatever just on the background while I sleep and have like a sleep timer on. Um, sure. And whenever the Bob's Burgers or whatever show I'm watching episode ends, Hulu will automatically start Dope Sick Pilot every single time. Hulu is also always trying to get me to watch Dope Sick Pilot. Because um, it's like once you finish whatever series you're watching and it'll just like, it it will, yeah, it always is trying to get me to, it's trying to get me to watch Dope Sick and it's always trying to get me to finish watching, um, oh God, what was it? I like watch like half of the pilot of like some, uh, you know how they can never really figure out, like they always have like a, uh, like a Cleveland show sized hole in animation domination on Fox. And so like I watched like the first 15 minutes of like some, you know, adult animated series from Fox. And I was like, no, fuck this. And it's just now just like the default of like, hey, don't you want to finish watching this? And I'm like, no, I don't. I like, I haven't touched it in like months now. Obviously, I'm not going to get around to finishing it. Have you ever uh, gone back to a show that you like started or got pretty far into like three years ago or something or like really long ago and like you finally got back into it? And yeah, actually very recently I finally started like I have I had never gotten around to finishing the second season of Barry even though on this show I definitely have recommended it before um I and I think it's a great show but it just for some reason I just fell off watching it and so recently I'm like I need to actually fucking catch up you know like it's been a year and a half I'm so far behind so I started re-watching it from the beginning um mm. and I finished the first season so I'm actually right back where I started <laughs> um and then also New Girl I watched the first two seasons of New Girl stopped watching it for like years and then um my sister was like hey it's actually gotten a lot better and so then I started watching again oh and Parks and Recreation I didn't watch it I didn't watch I watched like the first season I was like wow this show sucks um and then I didn't watch it for a while and then everyone's like it's it's gotten better and so then I like went back and rewatched or watched the second season and like the third season the fourth season came out or something like that that makes sense I have I think I probably have a show like that but I want to point out I'm a very staunch defender of season one of Parks and Recreation I think that is people tell you to like skip it constantly like whenever someone recommends the show I think that like it sets up enough of the show's core identity that is worth watching parts now of. that like I'm just like a fan of the show I do think season one is way better than it's given credit for like upon rewatches like the Mark Brandanowitz character like they kind of lose that groundedness and they're like oh like you know they end up like trying to make it like Ben um, yeah and I'm like it, it's like the whole thing about like him being kind of like a cool loser instead of like Ben who's just like a loser who's cool uh <laughs> <laughs> which is like he's like you know because he's like a nerd well Mark yeah. Brandanowitz is not you know like he's like he's just like the only actual human being who lives in Pawnee I'm like oh this was a much better character that like I guess that guy left the show he didn't want to be on it anymore or something he was doing a uh big indie movie that he wanted to do instead and then it you know didn't go as well I guess he's still around in things I saw him yeah. in uh that what's that sh- that some Amazon show that aired a couple years ago might got canceled after one year I forget what it was called but he was in that I always get his name confused with Paul Schrader because his name is Paul Schneider yeah uh, but he's I not always, anytime I see him in anything I'm like Mark Brandanowitz um what's the show called oh uh Tales from the Loop it was like a it was like a classic like uh early pandemic casualty of a show that like I'm pretty sure just did not air after it got canceled after like season one pretty much uh because it just aired in like April 2020 and just didn't get a fan base yeah do you have shows like that where that you fell off and then revisited there's a couple shows that like are always in the back of my head where I'm like I should probably just get back to that one and I haven't gone back to like the one I'm thinking of in particular is The Shield I got to like beginning of season seven of that show in like 2013 yeah and season is the last season and I just never finished it oh man I actually just thought of two more that I've never finished and these are like these are gonna like these are like sort of embarrassing to admit but I never finished The Wire and I never finished Sopranos I've never so I have a weird thing with Sopranos I've only seen the last season because <laughs> I watched it when it aired because like I was like maybe 11 at that time or something so at that point it was like oh I can watch like MA rated shows now more constantly yeah. like I think I would always watch I watched like Entourage and I was like 9 or 8 but for like a drama I think it was more like a oh well I'll watch it I can't I don't watch MA rated dramas until I'm like at least 11 or 12 or whatever yeah. I guess. so I remember watching the entire last season of Sopranos when it aired and just like everyone would be like oh yeah this person's dead this person's dead I'm like I don't know who the hell these people are and I've never gone back and gone through it again but I definitely want 
want to. Uh, the Wire, I've been all in one like summer, so that one I just kind of went through. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like one of those things where I have like really no notes about it. It's just one of those it's just like I'm just never in the mood, you know. Like you kind of have to like you kind of have to let it because once you start watching it, you get hooked instantly, and you're like, well, there goes my entire weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But for some reason, I feel like I'm like I don't want to watch like this mafia drama TV show. Like I want to watch something a little lighter. But then like if you just start watching it, it's gonna you're immediately gonna be like, no, I made the right decisions. This is very entertaining. It's very good. I feel yeah. like in general, I am hesitant to like pick up a uh, like a drama series that's in like season three or later to watch because it's like, do I really have 30 plus hours to dedicate like just to catch up to where everyone else is at? Where mm-hmm. if it's a comedy that's like in season like 20, but it's like, you know, the episodes are half an hour. I'm like, well, I can just throw this on while I'm at work and it doesn't re- like I don't need to actively pay attention to it. I'll just like catch a joke here and there and or rewatch an episode if I'm in it or something, you know, like it's just like I the way I consume um, a lot of TV ends up being like in the background while I do other things. And so like a drama is like a real okay, it has to be after work. I like after dinner, I'm sitting down and I'm actually watching this. And half the time I just watch a movie after work anyway, you know, it's like if I'm yeah. gonna, it's like two hours either way, might as well watch a complete story. I totally get that. I feel like I'm in that boat now too. Sometimes where I prefer to watch the movie over a TV show just because it's like, well, I know how this is. I know this is going to end at something and people like the ending if they rated it well. So presumably, unlike a TV show where who knows how it's going to end, at least the movie's like, over. Like, so this is not about the Sopranos and the Wire, which again, Im- impeachable, like very good shows, but like a lot of modern, like prestige television dramas, there is going to be a full four hours of just absolutely nothing happening. And it's like, they just drag out plots and stuff where a movie I still think most movies are too long but at least it's like a full story beginning to end you know sure there's 20 minutes worth of fat to trim but not like three episodes a season that just didn't need to exist you know yeah three episodes that like the network gave them like 12 so they had to make like three extra episodes yeah I mean that's like we say this basically every episode but that's why the season two of Ted Lasso was bad I set you up for that one sort of <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been weird if we didn't bring it up <laughs> You don't get to bring friends. They're not my friends. 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 Welcome to We're Not Here to Watch Friends, the podcast about the friends from Friends, but not about the show Friends by two friends, Daniel and Brandon. I'm Daniel. And I'm Brandon. This is a special episode. We're going to try to do something new here. Um, I don't know why I started. You should explain this. This was your idea. (laughs) So we're trying something out where one of us has a movie or TV show that they really like and they get the other person to watch it because they haven't seen it yet. And uh, because the six friends have very limited filmographies and very limited filmographies of movies that we probably would like uh we have to sort of go towards the acquaintances of the friends universe and watch movies or shows that feature people who've been on the show friends uh in various capacities throughout the years uh right so like the the whole thing of this is there is going to be a convoluted connection to friends but it's not necessarily going to be part of the main cast um, and that opens up a lot of doors to review things that don't suck <laughs> yes because a lot of the friends actors have things that suck which are fun to talk about but sometimes we want to watch something good or something enjoyable yeah and I, I mean you know you could argue that the the um strict premise of this podcast ran its course immediately and we already opened it up because originally we were just going to do matthew perry um so we just keep opening it up more and more so we can talk about stuff we'd rather talk about yeah which i think is totally fine and yeah, i think it's good even <laughs> Um, and this week we watched one of Brandon's uh, favorite movies, Hellboy. I would say like genuinely in my, I, I always joke that it's in my top three um, and that my top three movies are all Del Toro movies and it's uh, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Blade 2, and then Hellboy. Um, but like in reality, it's probably in my top like 25, but I still fucking love this movie. I would say a top 25 is still considered, I think a, anything like, in my opinion, a top 50 considers one of my favorite movies 
to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. If I really thought about it, I would like, because like the thing about this movie and like a lot of the Del Toro movies that I really like, I have seen them so many times and also they're like kind of forgettable where like I rewatched it and I was like, there are so many things. I've seen this movie, like I'm going to guess like at least 25 to 50 times, like somewhere in that range. And there are so many parts about it because I haven't rewatched it in several years that I was just like, man, I forgot like this entire sequence and it, it's not bad i just like you know there's just like so much about this movie that i'm like it's just very entertaining but it's pure popcorn like there's no you know it's 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 just fun you're not gonna be like i remember every little detail about it yeah no one's like quoting the script i mean i guess you know the script's good but like no one's like it's pretty quotable i would say there's some there's some good lines yeah um but like it's a uh it, this movie like very much screams to me the movie that would be on fx or tnt in 2010 like for yeah, hours it, hours there was there was a thing that I used to refer to as the perfect FXX lineup, which was they would it would be um, days X Men Days of Future Past, Hellboy, Batman v Superman, and then that would lead into that would lead into um, every Simpsons ever, and that was like there w- it would always be those three movies, and like it was the perfect lineup because you would watch you would watch Days of Future Past, X Men Days of Future Past, you would watch Hellboy, and then it was like kind of the mid afternoon when Batman v Superman was on. So you would leave the TV on, but you would go make lunch and get your chores done. And, you know, it would be like four hours with commercials. And then you would come back and be like, all right, it's now after dinner time. And I can sit down and watch the Every Simpsons Ever marathon until, you know, like outside of football season, until I go to bed during football season, until Saturday night football comes on. Yeah, that sounds, uh, yeah, because I, Batman vs. Superman, I obviously not a huge fan of that movie. But uh, I do think Iceman Days Future Past is the best X-Men movie. Yeah, it's it's up there. I would I would love to do a uh, rewatch of all those movies too. If we can find a convoluted Friends connection, uh, we should because I I have I don't I don't know if I'm an X Men completist actually. I don't know if I've seen them all. I'm absolutely not in the slightest. And <laughs> the best X Men movie is also uh, burying the lead that I've only seen uh, maybe three and a half X Men movies. You're like you're like I've seen Days of Futures Past and X Men Origins and Wolverine, and I gotta say Days of Future Past <laughs> the best one. <laughs> Are the best one. Um, I've only I've seen First Class. Uh, I've seen uh, Logan, and I've seen Days of Future Past. And I've seen like a fourth of the Wolverine, and maybe like a fourth of uh, X, like uh, maybe the third, maybe the th- I want to say the third, like the one that everyone hates of like the X Men first oh, trilogy. Yeah. Have you seen Logan? Yeah, I've seen Logan. I don't like Logan. Overrated as fuck. It's like it's people, more direct. But that's it. People talk about Logan. We're just like, wow, it's incredible. This is what a superhero movie could be and it's like i mean it's still it's still just like it's a pretty regular like i don't think it's that much better than like just a standard superhero movie they're like no no he's he's trying to be retired i'm like all right there's like 900 like spider-man 3 iron man 3 like that's just the third movie always yeah it doesn't really sound that different compared to everything else like it's it's, it's good but and it's like it's an r-rated movie so i guess it's like oh so since it's r-rated that means that it's way yeah. better but it's, it's just really well acted i'll give them that like they aren't there is like a thing in superhero movies where i feel like a lot of performances are slightly phoned in um and like that's not the case in this one but it is also like like you know everyone agreed to do that movie because they were like i don't want to play this character anymore so this is gonna be the last one you know and then patrick Stewart came back anyway (laughs) i'm about to say yeah i haven't seen that movie but i know he's back in it um but yeah so it is it's it's uh, yeah i don't know it's fine i i don't love it but it is already which I guess is its thing. Uh, which, speaking of which, I was shocked to find out that Hellboy was PG thirteen. I didn't know yes. that. No, it. it's it's that's very important to why I love this movie so much. Because in two thousand four, I was turning twelve years old, and my parents were like letting me watch PG thirteen movies. But like, I wasn't really going to the theaters because they would have to go, but they would let me rent them. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember, I rewatched the trailer before we started like recording, and I was just like, I remember when the trailer came out and me making a mental note of being like I need to remember when this comes out on uh, like DVD and probably VHS too and I'm like and we are renting this movie as soon as possible because like I was like I was just like weirdly always I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't obsessed with Del Toro and Ron Perlman 
yeah. I love the Blade movies. I love fucking these movies. I, yeah, I'll, I will watch literally any like blockbuster comic book movie bullshit uh, Del Toro does. And any of his like actually good movies, I'm like lukewarm on. Yeah. So, I mean, I just love like anything Ron Perlman and Del Toro do together. You know, like I love Blade 2 fucking rules and both of these movies rule. And like even even like, all right, he makes like better movies than like blockbusters, but I like his blockbusters a lot. I think I think it's cool that like when a director um, like who makes like, I don't know, kind of popcorny uh, like summertime blockbuster flicks still gives a shit. And so like I like like, you know, I think these movies rule. And even the ones, you know, we've talked a lot about Nightmare Alley, but seeing Ron Perlman show up in that, it's just like, hey, it's his guy. You know, I love it when a director has a guy. Yeah, is Ron Perlman his only guy? Because I can't really think of any other people who appear in a ton of his movies like that. Like, I guess Doug Jones. Doug Jones, I guess, technically. Yeah. Because he's in, like, all the monster-related movies, usually as as one of the creatures. Oh, talking about uh, directors and their guys, uh, I found out, um, you know, Greta Gerwig is directing the Barbie movie. Yeah. So Saoirse Ronan was supposed to be in it, and, like, the just, like, scheduling didn't work out. And that is, that's a great director and guy uh, combo right there, you know? They're, they're, like, they're definitely the new, like, power duo. Yeah. Um, I like their, I like them as a combo. That's a shame. Yeah. I mean, and, like, the Coen Brothers and Goodman and a million other people. Uh, Ramey and Campbell. I'm trying to think um, of other guys. Michael Bay and Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Tarantino also has, like, guys he goes back to a lot, you know? I guess, like, Michael Madsen and, um, um, little, again, Walton Goggins in there a lot recently. Um, Tim Roth. Yeah, Tarantino has a lot of guys. Anyway, yeah. So I guess we should talk about what the connection to Friends is with Hellboy, which I definitely know, but you should say it because I don't have it in front. So uh, I mentioned earlier that like kind of uh, the Emmys would lead into sort of our uh, connection to Friends because uh, at the Emmys, uh, Selma Blair uh, made an appearance. Uh, I think maybe the, one of the first times she's appeared anywhere after uh, being diagnosed with MS um, and she got like a standing ovation. She, you know, presented the award for um, best drama. She was like, you know, like the main presenter, basically like the last one. Uh, so it was like her first like major public appearance, I think probably in a while. Uh, she's gonna be on Dancing with the Stars this year, also. Uh, we'll, you know, uh, she's honest, she's one of the bigger names on there this year, which um, it should be interesting. But um, she was in an episode of Friends, and I have to admit, it's an episode I did not remember the plot of when I saw which episode it was. Which one is it? The one with Christmas in Tulsa. I don't remember that one at all. It was a later one, season nine. Um, it was like Chandler has to go to Tulsa to uh, he has to spend Christmas in Tulsa. Um, because he's on the outs with his job and he needs to do it in order to like keep his job. A woman seduces him and basically tries to, I think it's maybe someone he works with probably, um, like the vice president like of the company in Tulsa, uh, tries to seduce him and he, you know, he does this like classic Chandler, probably like kind of awkward stuff, like trying to avoid her seduction. Yeah. Um, Monica gets jealous, even though he's not, uh, you know, reciprocating the seduction and he leaves his job at the end of the episode. And, uh, the woman who's seducing him is some Oh, all right. So and she was like uh, a big, big. She was like the big guest star of the episode. Yeah, yeah. In Hellboy, she plays Liz Sherman, a woman who can spontaneously catch on fire. Yes, and they call in like the uh, movie. They call her like a fire starter. And then I looked up like on IMDb. One of the trivia fun facts was fun fact. Uh, they borrow characteristics of Selma Blair's character Liz from Stephen King book Firestarter. And I'm like, really? No shit. Yeah, it's very subtle. You would never catch it. They're making Firestarter into a movie too yeah they are i'm curious how that will go because they already had a movie for it like maybe 20 years yeah. ago i think is is the new fire starter i believe it's chloe grace mortz yeah it's like a am i am i totally wrong that but like i have a memory of it being like an a24 oh never mind it's not it's ryan kiera armstrong i'm getting my three namers confused yeah huh. i don't know who, she was in um and with an e yeah and it too she was i believe she was the girl in it i don't know if you've seen it too oh it's a it's a uh blumhouse not a not a 24. I've not seen it too. Um, I believe she is 
the one who I could be wrong, but there's like a scene where like he kills like a little girl, like a high school football game. And I'm pretty sure that's her. He's very good at that, actually. You know who's doing the music for Firestarter? Is it Prodigy? Because they have a song called Firestarter? No, it's John Carpenter. What? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. John Carpenter and Cody Carpenter, who I'm assuming is John Carpenter's child. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He's John Carpenter's child with Adrian Barbeau. So that's cool. I'll watch it just so I can see some or listen to some dope synth. Yeah, I mean, because the um, director of the Firestarter movie uh, is none other than the writer of the Lost in Space movie we watched a few weeks ago. Yes. Well, close enough. We can now watch it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we eventually do our six degrees of friend separation. We'll get to that. Yeah. The rule is we can watch anything that, uh, oh man, this is such a better premise for a podcast where you can watch, you have to make a connection to the previous thing you watched in your next, in the next thing you watch. Oh, that is actually a way better premise. Yeah. So it's just like you always just have to be making one connection, but then you could basically watch whatever you wanted, you know, on a long, yeah. you could, it would take forever to chain it to wherever, but you could just kind of go in it wherever. Well, so what did we watch last week? We watched, um, was last week Paperman? Yes. I okay. Think. So was it? Yeah, Paperman. Okay. Let's do a quick uh, IMDb collaboration search between Paperman and Hellboy. Two, or Hellboy 2004, not Hellboy 2019. Yeah. Not Hellboy 2, The Golden Army 2006, 2008. And not Paperman 1971. Ooh, we got a stunt actor. Oh, that's fun. So Jeff Ward, who did stunts for uh, Blade and Blade 2 as well, or maybe was a stunt coordinator, I guess. I guess, yeah, he's a stunt coordinator, occasional stunt performer. So he's, I guess, most well-known for being the fight choreographer for, or fight choreographer for Blade 2. And um, he did some stunts for The Sopranos occasionally. And uh, looks like, I'm trying to figure out what he did for Paperman. He's a lot of stunt stuff. Uh, He for Paperman. I mean, there were some stunts in Paperman, I guess. I feel like he would, yeah, that's, I guess he must have done stunts for it. I mean, uh, you know, someone gets punched, they jump in the ocean, all that's considered a stunt, you know, like doing that's anything, true. doing basically anything other than walking and talking is considered a stunt, so. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, it, so I'm assuming, yeah, because he's an additional stunt coordinator for it. Yeah. So that makes sense. He also did stunts for Margaret, which is a movie I love a lot. Um, And I guess only has like one stunt in it. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> uh, so. That's funny. But uh, yeah, so he, the stunt coordinator for, I guess, for Hellboy, who's like, seems to be another Guillermo del Toro collaborator, um, actually, because or fight choreographer, fight choreographer for Hellboy and Blade 2 did the additional stunt coordination for Paperman. Yeah. So there's our connection. That's at least, we could at least do that every week. Talk about a connection that the previous movie had. Yeah, sure. Um, um, so did you like the movie? Have you seen it? Okay, you've never seen it before, right? I had not. Or at least I don't remember ever seeing it. There's uh, like a hundred movies that exist in my world worldview of like things that I'm sh- like I've seen trailers of here and there and I'm trying to figure out if I ever saw them actually for real or not and I'm when I watched this movie I did not remember a single thing about it so I have to assume I've never seen this movie before yeah yeah I feel like this movie is held higher for me than maybe it deserves because it just came out the exact right time like there's PG-13 action movies that came out when you're like from 10 to like 14 that are just gonna be like no this movie fucking ruled because I watched it when I was the exact target demographic for this movie. Absolutely. Like, I have a soft spot for the Daredevil movie and one of the Punisher movies. <laughs> just because I watched those and I was like, I don't know, 11 or whatever, and they were just kind of like cool fight movies. Um, and I also was a big fan of the Punisher video game that was on Xbox. That game did rule. Yeah, it was great. Um, and like, so I love like kind of being, like knowing a universe of characters sort of through it, kind of, because like Daredevil and Punisher obviously are similar universes um and like that's the first time i ever heard of nick fury was because he was in the punisher video game and i was just like oh i don't know who the fuck this guy is and then seven years later samuel jackson there you go uh, yeah. but yeah so there's a lot of those kind of like dark superhero movies that came out like in 2004 this obviously was one of the more well-received and better grossing movies of that kind of era yeah um yeah, it's like like hellboy is not an anti-hero like he's just a regular hero you know they try to make it be like oh you know he like he like walks on either side 
guy. But it's like, no, I mean, he's a demon, but he's just good. Like, he, he doesn't ever really do it. Like, there's never, like, a question of, like, like, oh, is he doing, like, you know, something bad but because he follows his own moral code? It's like, no, he, like, straight up multiple times is just like, my job is to protect humanity. Well, he does a few questionable things throughout the movie. I mean, he spies on people and throws rocks at one of them. Yeah, I don't know. But that's not anti-hero behavior. That's the the whole thing about this movie is it's like it's not really like a like a he he Hellboy takes no role in like solving the large mystery about like Rasputin and the Nazis and all that stuff. Like Hellboy, the character is in a rom-com and every other character is like, no, we're in like a fighting like demons and shit movie. And he just has no part of it. Like Trevor Broom, his professor played by or his father played by uh John Hurt. I did air quotes, people can't see that. His father, air quotes, <laughs> played by John Hurt. And like Myers are like and uh Abe Sapien spend so much time like figuring out, you know, reading the books and trying to figure out what like what's gonna happen. And Hellboy is like, Yeah, whatever, don't give a shit about that. I'm just gonna go like try to win my old girlfriend back, you know? And I like it because like the stakes are lower. They are way lower than I expected them to be. Um because even at the end, I guess I, you know, obviously you know that, that everything's gonna turn out fine, but yeah, I mean they did make a second one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they kind of try to make him maybe seem like he's gonna turn bad at the end. I mean, because so we can I guess we can discuss the plot of the or the plot of the movie, sort of. We wanna yeah, discuss yeah. it. Um so yeah, I mean like Hellboy was a what a, is he a, technically I don't know exactly the premise of how he came to be, but they find him in Nazi Germany in the forties. Is he was he well, brought he through the, the portal, portal right? Yeah, okay, he, so yeah, yeah. He comes he's, through the portal. Uh so like the Nazis like open up a portal to hell and a bunch of Nazis fall in and it's like, oh, the portal's been open long enough. Something might have come through. And the thing that comes through is Hellboy. And he's like a little demon with like a big fucking arm. And then so does Rasputin also come through the portal because he gets killed and then... I think, I don't, see, I don't know. that The whole part of that lore confuses me in the movie. I think Rasputin just never got killed. Okay. He's been alive this whole time. Or no, they resurrect him. Because, okay, because he's absorbed in the portal. That's what it is, right? Because he's, yeah. uh, he, come, he like, the portal like kind of does some weird thing to him and then they go to that like uh whoever the people are that resurrect him go to somebody and get him resurrected yeah because um, like like he gives that one lady internal like eternal life so then she can like bring him back when the time comes which i guess is when uh you know hellboy is like in his 60s yeah pretty much um which sure yeah um but yeah so that's like the opening is like them uh having like a cool i really like that opening actually a lot like i think that was a really cool opening of like the 10 minute scene of them trying to infiltrate like a nazi camp that's trying to open a portal to hell like that's a great like opener of like this is what this movie is it's also funny to be like who who were history's biggest villains and it's like all right the nazis and uh the czar in like pre-revolutionary russia it's like (laughs) we'll just make them both the bad guy in this movie (laughs) yeah it's like a fun like alternate world version of like yeah just just picking historical villains and make was like what if they teamed up <laughs> yeah it's a fun idea um I, I i definitely enjoyed it um and then they go to they i the my one of my bigger problems with this movie is the uh audience surrogate myers yeah he sucks. um he does do you know apparently that jeremy renner was supposed to was considered to play him oh that would have been a worse movie and uh jeremy renner on like a podcast tries to imply that he was considered to play hellboy he was like yeah i was up for a role in hellboy i never got like the script or anything though and everyone's like jeremy renner was gonna play hellboy what the heck and then guillermo del toro was like no he was gonna play myers yeah <laughs> i was like oh that makes sense but i don't like that still yeah apparently the studio wanted vin diesel to play hellboy but like del toro was like nah i want pearlman too and that's good because pearlman is like very good in this role and like vin diesel like there's like a little bit of like charismatic like snarkiness to hellboy that in a post marvel marvelization thing might be kind of annoying but in 2004 I was like, man, this guy rules. Vin Diesel could not pull off those like one-liners the way Perlman can. No, not in the not in the same way either. Vin Diesel's type is very specific, and Ron Perlman plays Hellboy in a way that Vin Diesel would never have played him. Yeah, yeah, like 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 uh, Perlman just by his mere existence comes off as just kind of 
like, I'm a bad dude, but you love me, baby. And Vin Diesel always has to be like this, like, he has like such weird things about being like morally good. And I, I even though I just said this movie isn't an anti-hero, like, which it isn't, but Hellboy has sort of like an anti-hero attitude, you know, like in the characterization, even though his actions don't really line up with that at all. And Vin Diesel always has to be like a true good guy, you know? Yeah, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and also, uh, so the guy who plays Myers, like he's not bad, Rupert Evans. Um, yeah. I was looking him up and this guy is typecast to shit because his other big role is in The Man in the High Castle, which is another alternate World War II, what if Nazi did something different movie. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I honestly wasn't sure if he survived the movie because I didn't really know the actor that well. So I was like, I don't, I would assume that he might die if like, I don't know him, but that'd be kind of shocking if they kill off like the audience surrogate. And then he no, didn't die. I think he's in the second one. He's not. He's not. Oh, no. I looked that up too. And I was like, oh wow, he didn't come back, I guess. They said he, they said that if they were making a third one, they had brought him back. So I guess there was no hard feelings. And he just couldn't figure out how to put him in there. Yeah. Um, speaking of people I didn't like in this movie, Jeffrey Tambor plays like the head of their, like he's at least, he's like the boss of this, uh, whatever this thing is. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I guess he's, Bureau he's like a guy, sort of. He, so he works for the FBI and like the, the Bureau is like, or like I, he works for the FBI air quotes, like according to the public, because the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. Uh, yeah. Research and Defense doesn't exist. You know, it's an right. off books uh, thing. And so like, he's like the head of it, but he's coming in from the FBI and he doesn't, he doesn't like the Bureau. Um, I think, I think he's good in this movie because he's supposed to be playing like a really annoying, unlikable guy, you know? And that's sort of his sweet spot. It is, but I didn't even, I don't know. For some reason, he didn't gel with me this movie. Like, I think he's funny in rest. I mean, I don't like him as a person, obviously, but like, he's, Arrested Development, his character's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like him in this. And I looked it up and found out that he was, I guess, brought in a week before the movie was supposed to start filming because the original actor for this role left. Oh, and yeah. I read something else unrelated that Colin, not Colin, I read somewhere else unrelated that Hugh Grant was supposed to be in this movie and then left suddenly. So I'm like, well, seems to me that he probably was playing the role of Jeffrey Tambor in the plane. Yeah. If I had to guess. Um, so that, I don't know. Like that's, I'm not sure I really liked him in this. And I also, I don't know. It just felt like a, I obviously they need to have like the villain, the guy who's like, you can't do this. Like this is not allowed, but I don't know. I didn't like him being on the missions and kind of just being there to like be annoying. Yeah. Um, because he was on, like, they only had like, I guess like what, technically like two missions in this movie, three missions. If you count the opening. Yeah. It's like the opening of like how Hellboy gets started. And then they do kind of like a lot of like, you know, exposition stuff. And then they got to go fight the, um, like the the hellhound thing um which ends up you know coming back like a million times um yeah there's there's really only you know it's like it's like the hellhound and then that you know knocks over the domino of like the resurrection of like all this stuff and like you know opening the portal when hellboy says his real name or whatever but yeah for the most part it's just the the the, the nazi portal the demon dog and then the end where you know he's like basically just fighting demon dogs again yeah uh, pretty much but how fucking good uh is the like the monster design in this movie you know that's that's obviously something del toro is like sort of known for but i remember re-watching it yesterday before you know before we were recording this i was i would just remember being like even for like a 2004 movie this movie looks good um, yes you, you can tell that there's like a person in like a, a hellhound costume you know it's not just all cgi in like i'm sure there's a lot of cgi on top of it but there is some like actual practical effects going on too you know oh yeah Absolutely. I mean, it's just all really well done in terms of like the action sequences and everything. Like even the deaths that like, they kind of go out of their way to make the deaths almost feel R-rated, sort of. Like they make they have very bad like big implications with most of the characters dying. Like yeah. usually it's like this character's about to get like smushed by this thing. This character's doing this thing. Um, and it's very like disturbing for a PG-13 movie. But they do a really good job with the special effects of it to make it not be R-rated, but like have it have a sort of vibe of what it could have been. Yeah, I like that also that they don't like like they don't get too bogged down with the lore you know they never really explain what the guy who is like the you know like the assassin with like the like they never fully explain like what his deal is it's just like yeah he's a fucked up creepy assassin with no lips or eyelids like he's he's just a scary dude who does the bidding of like his master like don't think about it too much you know yeah which i guess i won't but i still sort of think about it <laughs> um yeah i mean that's this movie is like a pretty like tight two hours i guess i'd yeah, say 
hour and one minute, I believe, is the run length. Two hours and one minute? Yeah, two hours and one minute. Yeah, sorry. I was about to say, what version are you watching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I I like a lot of the movie. Um, it, it does pacing pretty well. Um, like even the scenes where you kind of don't, like it's like, you know, the scenes where Hellboy's following because like the main plot is, not the main plot, but one of the main plots is that the audience surrogate is uh, trying to seemingly date the, uh, Hellboy's childhood friend slash love interest. Yes. And so Hellboy spies on them. Um, which is a very interesting like thing to do halfway through a movie of have like a scene where two characters go on a date, Hellboy spies on them, and meanwhile, like the people who are doing actual work back at like the laboratory and then like John Hurt gets killed. Except like they're almost not on a date like in that scene because they are like talking about like like it's like this weird thing of like, you know, they're like hanging out together and then talking about how much Hellboy is in love with uh, like the lady. Um, and yeah. it's just like, is this a date or is this like two work colleagues talking about a third work colleague? <laughs> yeah, it was very weird like to, to try and put a label on that because he, he does like the he tries to like make it a date, but she's not, I guess, totally. Not yeah. Bad. And then like in the end when they're like like going to like the you know the big final showdown he she's like oh you really want to talk this talk about this right now and i'm like i feel like based on every interaction like you two have had you don't have to be like do you really want to do this right now you could just be like no of course not and he'd be like yeah that's what i thought i figured based on the vibes of the whole first half of this movie and our scenes together because there's just no chemistry between us to speak of no i think they wanted to like maybe keep the idea open for like the second movie to have the love triangle still but then they didn't bring the guy back in the second movie so i guess they just didn't even do that yeah um so uh one thing i want to talk about is how they almost kind of make it seem like oh hellboy is someone who you barely ever see out there like he's like bigfoot like they have like that joke at the beginning where they're like why is all the bigfoot footage is always so grainy ha 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 yeah and um that almost is immediately negated by hellboy doing a massive fight in a subway with thousands not thousands like hundreds of witnesses right but also there's comics about help like he's definitely a known figure you know like there's comics about him in the help like within the hellboy universe like that nine-year-old kid recognizes him as hellboy it's one of those it's like an like i think what it is is it's like it's an open open secret and every now and then someone from the government goes on the news to deny it and everyone's (laughs) like well we know they're lying like we've all fucking seen it you know yeah it's it's just like a little dance everyone's gotta play that makes sense and there is a scene where he gets reprimanded for having to gunfight in the middle of public that's true yeah uh and i also heard that uh the scene where he hits the guy with like the uh payphone and yeah. they had like all the coins coming out they were trying to like make that like act as the blood for the character right because they wanted to maintain the pg-13 rating so they're like well we need something to like fly and splatter out and so right. they did payphone and the coins fly and so that's which you know that's clever i thought it was fun yeah yeah like ron i kind of miss yeah yeah ron promo's idea originally he was like what if he hits him with like a gumball machine and then they're like well there's not going to be a gumball machine in a subway so we'll put a payphone but there yeah. should be so, yeah. Uh, but yeah I like this kind of style of movie I feel like every movie back then was like PG-13 like there were barely maybe not barely any R movies but it seems like in the early mid 2000s there were a ton of these kind of like gritty PG-13 movies that sort of set up like a dark night eventual resurgence yes yeah I this it, it was a great time to be 13 during this time when they were making movies for 13 year old boys yeah because nowadays like I don't know is like I mean because I, when I was a kid I went to like the first three Transformers movies or two of the first three in like theaters yeah. and I can't imagine that now I would go see Jurassic Park Dominion or whatever in the theater no I mean we lucked out because it was like we, we got like the start of the franchises like Pirates of the Caribbean was like was Disney's first PG-13 movie ever um, and so it was just like oh cool well I'm the perfect age for this yeah Um, I know I, it seems like a weird it's, I feel like I mean the idea of like a movie franchise especially one that is like that is definitely just not a thing anymore because it's hard to bank on of unknown quantity or yeah entity. exactly um like, even this one is based off something but it's based off a dark horse comic like not not one of the big two you know yeah but dark horse is like the a24 of yes yeah like, they have a lot of comics that are well received like they're like uh, especially like in like the 2000s like i feel like i guess maybe because they you know they'd been around for just a bit so all their things were just about like getting like big in the know or whatever but they had like all the you know they had like 300 and sin city and stuff like that um so i mean i don't know if like i guess like it, it just kind of seems like um that i mean that makes sense that they would like try to capitalize on that a little bit and like at, at this point when they were like throwing just whatever they want on screen and see what it sticks i yeah. think it pulled out pretty well for them 
Yeah, more or less. Yeah. They only got two, though. They didn't get the third one. Um, And I guess the second one almost wouldn't have happened if uh, Del Toro didn't, like, hit it big with Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. This, um, this was, like, his pet project. He wanted to make Hellboy for a while. And then when they were making the... When they talked about, like, in, before they made the 2019 one, when they were talking about bringing it back again, there was, like, a brief period of time uh, where at least Perlman thought that he's like, I'll come back. Like, I'm, I will... I will... I am down... I will come back tomorrow and like sit in the makeup chair for six hours to be Hellboy again. Um, and he was, I think, you know, Perlman is pretty public on Twitter and he was pretty fucking pissed that they made a new Hellboy and didn't, didn't like come talk to Del Toro him first. It's kind of ridiculous they didn't because I feel like, I mean, the obvious, it just seems like I've never heard of a time where it worked, where the lead at, like the person who wasn't originally in the role was like so well received and is like iconic in the role and they replaced them and having that uh, actually work. Yeah. And I don't know if the intention of the 2019 film was to like bring Hellboy into like the DC universe or something but like it fucking bombed and no one gave a shit about it and I'm, I think if they let Del Toro and Perlman make a third one people would have like at least like the nostalgic value would have been stronger and people have been like yeah I'm gonna go see it oh yeah I would assume yeah but yeah I don't I know I said I would have seen it I still haven't seen the 2019 one just on principle yeah I was almost tempted to watch it before just to compare it but I didn't want to yeah uh, but yeah i mean it does seem like a weird thing to reboot this because i i mean i've never even seen the hellboy movies but i'm always just like yeah ron perlman's hellboy yeah exactly. just the same. um so you were talking we were talking about ron perlman a bit earlier uh do you have any like i guess you like him of late too right yeah. um do you have any other favorite projects of his no um, that's really just it because i'm a, i mean he's in like tons of anarchy and stuff i've seen him in tons of anarchy i haven't watched that's one of those shows i watched like three episodes of and then just never got back to uh but i think he's good in that probably um and then he's in so i found this out like maybe like a few months ago that he's in the danny phantom tv show did you ever watch that yeah i did he plays like the main teacher like the one that's always getting them in trouble and puts them into detention like the like he's like yeah that's very funny it's i found that out like just recently because i just saw some article about like danny phantom guest stars or whatever and he was on there and i was like what he was in this show like he has a pretty big voice acting career because like he's at least for uh me a video game nerd he's one of his most iconic roles is just the fallout narrator yeah yeah no he's in a bunch of stuff he's in call of duty black ops 3 everyone's in a black ops at some point in their lives yeah yeah i'm looking through his stuff yeah i didn't realize how much voice acting he's done yeah it's quite a bit i mean it makes sense he has a really good voice yeah um but yeah i mean he's i think like he he's one of those people who like threw like he was like in like the batman series at some point too like i think he was one of the villains um like he just kind of like everywhere like kind of like i think he's just one of those people like in the 90s back when like voice acting was something that people were just doing when they couldn't i mean i guess he'll still do it now but now like it seems like voice acting is more of a like big thing but back then it was sort of he just had yeah. a good voice and he was just doing it i mean because i think back i think at that point he was doing voice acting after he was in the beauty and the beast tv show which is uh apparently i guess like his big break sort of it didn't really like lead to anything super crazy afterwards for a few years but that was his first like major thing that he did yeah um and he's been in movies around um he, he was in drive he's pretty good in that yeah um he's, uh, he's killer croc uh and bane in the the batman tv series oh there you go yeah yeah so he's just kind of he has a good voice for that kind of stuff so it makes sense yeah um but yeah and um it, he was also um in uh teen titans as slade uh yeah. which is like also an iconic voice role if you ask me like i think that's a pretty like that's a voice role i can like still picture the voice in my head of that character yeah kind of thing. um but yeah he's good um and then i get so like i mean uh the rest of the cat like the cast is pretty decent at least like him and Selma Blair I like. Like I like Selma Blair in this a lot. I don't know her from that much else to be honest besides Kath and Kim which I yeah. watched like the, the US version aired. Well and uh, David Hyde Pierce is uncredited as voicing uh, a sapien. Yeah uh, which is interesting because I'm assuming like the reasoning to get David Hyde Pierce I'm assuming is to like build up the star meter on this movie but then he's just like I don't want to be credited for this role so it's like hmm what's the point of that yeah. then? It is it is crazy like watching it and immediately being like that's David Hyde Pierce and then it's like why is he not in like and then like just like you know it's like the first imdb trivia that did it uncredited 
and it's just like weird you know that's true i mean if you have doug jones you want him to do the mannerisms at least yeah yeah um former senator of alabama doug jones <laughs> yes that's exactly who it is um but yeah i mean it's just a like i guess also uh speaking of the cast of it i one of my pet peeves about like 2000s action movies is how they always have like a bunch of extras that they just like kind of kill off to try and make the stakes high yeah. and this movie literally kills off like every side agent i guess that's almost kind of like a gag at a certain point but it almost just feels silly because a lot of them die in very convoluted ways where it's basically hey you go up ahead so the, the main characters are safe and it's like huh yeah. i don't know about that yeah <laughs> yeah you can need fodder for stuff like this though yeah i guess but it still just felt very odd the way yeah. they did it i don't know because a lot of the people who died like when they like you, you kind of like always knew when someone was about to die which i guess is sort of yeah these types of movies but um also all the um agents like had names that were related to like things in the earth um so i was interesting like moss stone clay um so that's kind of fun um but yeah i mean I, I have to admit like the movie sort of loses me after the opening scene just in terms of like building the universe yeah um but i i mean i think ron perlman's great but the actual universe i feel like it's slightly underdeveloped based on just being like okay yeah i mean i guess we're just like in like new york and you know uh yeah shooting Prague is new york is sort of insane <laughs> yeah i know so many scenes that are just inside because it's like well we can't make this city look like new york <laughs> <laughs> like even the scene like in the park i'm like there's no new york park that looks like that yeah that's european <laughs> yeah well do we want to do well do you want to kind of wrap things up and get into ratings because i have an idea on how to rate this one Ooh, uh sure i have a couple more things i want to mention just real quick okay. about the movie uh one um that uh, Guillermo del toro was i guess trying to figure out what movie to do at this point and he decided to do this movie over being offered alien vs predator and the prisoner of azkaban yeah prisoner of azkaban del toro prisoner of azkaban would be a very cool movie. it would be but i also think prisoner of azkaban is the best harry potter movie so i'm kind of glad that he didn't do it but he could have done like you know uh one of the bad ones like Alpha of fire or something yeah um but yeah and um also like it seemed like every single fact about this movie was just del, del toro and like the creator of the movie just, the creator of hellboy just being on the same page because like at the end when he stabs rasputin like the creator was like oh i had an idea that like he, there would be like a creature coming out of him when he gets stabbed like as an open wound and like del toro used it in this movie without me consulting him on it yeah it's like That's very weird but glad that they're on the same page i guess uh but yeah so if you want to rate it what's your uh idea so my idea is uh does it um stay an acquaintance does it become an enemy or does it become a friend Ooh, i like that that's yeah. a good idea okay um do you want to go first since your rating might be more it's already a friend it's an old friend even i welcome it i rewatched this in a welcoming embrace of an old friend i love this movie. a friend who when you see for first time in like three years you light up and are happy to see them yeah um yeah i don't have that same review but um it's definitely i like i still liked it i think it's like the um it's a close acquaint it's a close acquaintance who's who i've met maybe like 10 or so times whose name i kind of still not sure on so i don't want to like say it um right. but like i have great conversations with them so i want to be friends with them but like i'm not sure what their name is so i can't make that a jump okay sure I'll take um it. like i i think maybe if, I, if i'd watched it when it first came out i think my rating would be way higher yeah but, yeah i mean it's it's a movie for like preteens it yeah. is a it is a kid movie kind of um so you get that kind of bias going on but yes for sure I'm still glad i watched it and i think it was very fun and worth my time yeah it just kind of few issues here and there that made it enough where i'm not totally at like the friend level i'd say makes sense um have you been watching anything good this week my recommendation is that everyone should watch hellboy 2 the golden army people i've heard people like that better than the first one and i guess you like it better than the first i like one. it better than the first one i'm very curious i kind of want to watch that at some point because yeah when we do our next summer blair episode yeah um what about you can, um so i finally have been going through uh season two of hacks yes um, rules yeah it's great i just i i've not gone all the way through it i'm still like you know uh two fifths in i guess maybe uh but some of blair i feel like could jump in that universe pretty easily like that universe feels like it's it makes sense that someone like her would be in that sort of vibe i feel like like she kind of gives me like sort of a quirky energy that uh, you're saying that she would be believable as an actress in a tv show about actresses i mean i guess technically you could say i'm saying that uh but i just i feel like she'd be really fun in like that show kind of like the way that show's done it seems like that'd be kind of her type of vibe yeah um, i could see it so you know i'd be i'd be happy to see her jump in um down the line but yeah i think it's a it's a very fun show i love gene smart like i think she's great 
in the show. Well-deserved Emmy. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, we'll probably do more of these acquaintance-style episodes. Uh, just With friends like you, who needs friends? Tune in. Bye.